Hello and welcome to the Virgin Gardener podcast, the podcast for everyone who loves gardens and plants and basically all the good things. I'm Letitia McClough and I'm a journalist, blogger and plant enthusiast. This episode I'll be chatting to Mark Diacono, who is a writer and a gardener and a cook and an all-round good egg. I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, have you got your cup of tea? Got my cup of coffee. Have you got your bowl of cereal? It's gone. Okay, good. Demolished right. it. I like it. What did you have for cereal today? Oh, it was, um, do you know what? Muesli and its ilk, they, it, it generally makes me unhappy. In the, <laughs> well, it, they, it does, because it sort of promises much, but then I think it keeps me going just long enough to finish the muesli. So uh, I, I, I fin- you know, I'm, at the end I'm like, I, I thought I just had breakfast um, yeah. and, and I'm still hungry. But I, let me tell you this. If you're going to eat muesli, it may as well be the Riverford one because it's bloody lovely. Or the one is Riverford it? sells. It's very good. <gasps> is it? Because I am. Um, can I just say something here? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out myself here. I am such a muesli slut. I do not like wholesome muesli. I only like Alpen. Gotcha. And Alpen is like just sugar <laughs> it, it, it actually is isn't it it's like what it, it, you know those irregular uh, um, um rocks of uh, sugar that you find in yes restaurants with square plates yes if you if you um if you smite one with a a, a warm sock it will fall into uh, essentially a, a rubble that looks like and indeed is um alpen muesli it, and it's deeply satisfying and and there's there's no way there's no way around that uh, but you're <laughs> absolutely right about the sugar rush it goes mm before the last bite <laughs> this is the thing one thing let me steer you away from one thing if i may yeah um iceland muesli oh don't i've never eaten it myself and i've never eaten it myself for one very good reason is that friends who shared a flat together um who were interested in such things swore blind that nothing would bring about uh, um, galloping wind any quicker than iceland muesli and it, so it, it, but but I mean you know um, uh, not only um, frequent and voluminous in its emission, <laughs> but um, odorous and, and 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 virtually immediate. You know you 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 wouldn't have finished the bowl before you're uh, parping away. Mark, um, that's and, absolutely disgusting, and that that mm-hmm. is why I've never been to Iceland. <laughs> this you know mum does yeah, not this, go to Iceland. I, I've I've been. In, do you know what I? I don't know that I have. <laughs> I think, my, do you know what? I think actually that's a lie. I think I went once because my daughter, when she was very young, um, heard there were some lollies in there that she, she tried a lolly off a friend. Um, yeah. And it was Iceland. Um, and she so had she to have it. Get some. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas I am perfectly happy to go into a little and get their very, very good Parmesan. And, and I would say the best cherries I've ever had in this country that were sold in a supermarket came from Lidl. Really? Mm. Yeah, uh, not as good as off your own tree, presumably. Absolutely, of course. But yeah. then again, it, they're quite hard to get because it's mostly bird food, isn't it? It is indeed. Amazing. All around every single London street, you'll see just squished cherries and yep. stones. Wonderful. I know the birds are getting them and that's all good. That's all good. So... Let's just, we have to drop the muesli and the cherries, just for a second. Uh, So just take us, can you just, for anyone who's been hiding under a rock, um, who are you, Mark? Tell us about yourself. Who are you? Just Um, introduce yourself. Hello, um, I'm Mark Diacono, and um, I, I, I do that really unhelpful thing as far as publishers going, I go of um, sitting on the wall between um, gardening and and food, and I'm, I lean very heavily towards the food because... Because um, food is life. Well, this is it. I wouldn't be growing anything if you couldn't eat it. You know, I'm, I'm like, yeah. everyone's going on about, have you seen my lovely petunias or whatever? And I'm like, well, I, I couldn't... <laughs> I couldn't care less. What are you doing growing them when they're as perfectly delicious things that are as beautiful? Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I, I may be a coarse man from the West Country, but I'm not only a coarse man from the West Country. I, I, I'm perfectly happy to have aesthetically pleasing plants, but yeah. they can be edible too. So really, I guess that's the 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 furrow along which I plough is, is um, I'm definitely a food person, but um, in, in search of great flavour and the best that you can eat, I got interested in growing things, um, and frankly, most people who who grow uh, things to eat 
maybe um, you know need a little encouragement to look a little wider to the most delicious things that they haven't heard of because by nature we're quite a cautious bunch you know we we, we're, we're, and and there are so many delicious things beyond the familiar um, which is not to denigrate the familiar because I love a chip as much as the next person but um, so I write I I, gr- I I grow things I write I photograph people things food and I talk about it rather too often and too long, as you're discovering. <laughs> and and um, yeah, and I, I cook lots of things and I really ought to be 76 stone, but um, somehow I'm not. It is quite extraordinary how very svelte you are, Mark. I mean, well, Google that's... him, people. You know, he's there. I'd like to pretend it was a punishing fitness regime, but uh, it, it, it's it's probably worry. It's just very like good genes, darling. Very good genes. <laughs> um, I, I do. Yeah, I do agree with you. I, I always wonder why more cooks aren't gardeners it's a bit like that pumpkins and squashes thing all all pumpkins are squash but not all squash are pumpkins and i think all gardeners are cooks Mm -hmm. but not Mm. all cooks are gardeners that's really that's you know what that's absolutely spot on and and it's really interesting because when you do get when you do get a cook who grows things they they absolutely unequivocally become better cooks and what's been quite interesting actually um uh is Last year, I worked on a book that um, Faden had done um, called um, Garden Chefs, mm. uh, and and it is it, it's really interesting because they, what they've done is essentially go around the world um, looking for amazing cooks, great chefs who have a garden that relates to their restaurant or their yeah. whatever it is, um, and it's just fascinating talking to people. Um, like Matt Orlando, which sounds like a really good made-up name. Um, it's, it's a uh, fantastic name. Isn't that good? Matt Orlando. He, he's, um, he's one of the great chefs, and um, his, his restaurant in Copenhagen is, is called um, Amas, and it's just mm. you know, the best. But he's a really fascinating, interesting guy, um, and he is, you know, they, they grow a lot of that stuff that makes a difference to the menu. And I think this is something we can aspire to is, um, you know, I... OK, there's, I, I, I troll this out every now and again, but I think it's really interesting. Is If nobody had ever grown anything before, right, mm. there no such thing as a garden. Mm. And whatever your version of the good Lord comes down and says, here you go, here's a piece of land on which you can grow things that you want to eat. What, after your amazing, lovely, brilliant life so far, would you like to plop into your garden? You know, all the things that you've seen that are delicious and inspiring and wonderful and look good, mm. what would you like to grow? If your answer is the most widely available, most disease-prone, cheapest food I can get anywhere, then I suggest you go out and live a little bit more. But that's nevertheless what we do. We dedicate 78%, I think, of it is of, of our edible space to carrot spuds, onions. Yeah. Potatoes. You know. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, and I love potatoes. all that stuff. It's like you can get it everywhere. And, and, <laughs> and yes, there are some varieties that are amazing and grow them at home. I'm not saying don't grow that stuff. Yeah. I have to be careful because I once I ran a course at River Cottage, first one I ever ran there at River Cottage, and I was saying things along this line, and I got an email from one of the people who'd been on the course two weeks later, and this isn't like, you know, this is end of May, going, yeah. I did what you said, I dug up all my potatoes and threw them away. I'm like, no, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> or, I, if you want to grow potatoes and carrots and onions, great. That's absolutely amazing. I'm just saying don't leap to do it. Don't think you have to do it. Think, what do I want from my garden? Do I want it to be low maintenance? Do I want it to be high maintenance? Do I want it to be unviable? Do I want it to be stuff that's going to change every meal I eat? If that's the case, grow lots of herbs. Uh, do I want to investigate all the brilliant cultures that make up the planet, the, the, the EU, and, and and indeed our own country? You know, yeah. I can throw things into this garden and make it beautiful and make it low maintenance or high maintenance. What, they're all choices. I and, find that really interesting that... I, and it, 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 it sort of harks back to a conversation I was having with someone else who said that, um, quite rightly, and I experienced this, this, this too, people like to be told what to do. Um, mm. And it's as, almost as if um, they've lost, or I know I have, just lost the art of, of listening to our gut and, our, and, and answering our tongue, you know, and, yeah. and yeah. saying, okay, tongue, let's give you what tastes nice. But this is this is exactly it. I think we're. I mean, if you, even even if you think, I mean, I, I again, I'm not anti anything. But if you look at all the allotments, um, you know, the great majority of them will be growing annual veg in straight lines with mm. lots of brown space in the middle. Mm. And we go up there and we spend our time. Uh, we we think we're looking after the plants. No, we're not. We're we're either 
putting water back in because it's all evaporated from the brown space yeah. in the middle yeah. or we're knocking out the weeds um from that have germinated in all this brown space in the middle and the reason the brown space is there not for any other reason than somebody years ago looked up at what the farmers were doing it and go oh look i'd better do mini farming yeah, uh, and leave space for my tractor wheels and it, it, it's yeah we, we can get beyond that you know yet they'll go home look at the garden and go Oh, that's nice. I've got lovely great swathes of this planted in with that. There's not a load of brown space. It's all in together and it's a beautiful jungle. We can have an edible jungle if we want or anything yeah. in the middle. Yeah. And yeah. I think you're right. I think we need to um, grab hold of the joy of it. You know, it's it, it's a bit of Victorian, big, bit of Victorian kind of self-sufficiency that still goes with all of this. Nothing. Again, like I say, there's nothing wrong with any of this, but it, it's kind of presented as the the stock way that we have to go and there are so many other ways and if that's still the way you want to go that's really brilliant and i i, I take my hat off to you and it's not in any way dull boring or whatever to do the same as people usually do i'm just saying throw your imagination slightly wider because um like i say even if you grow six pots of herbs by the back door you change every meal you eat if you want to and that's yeah and that's what powerful. you call herbs don't you transformers yeah. They're transformers. Yeah. They, they, they turn all the other stuff that's cheap, widely available and perfectly lovely in all kinds of different directions. You know, whether you add chili to let, let's say you've got potatoes of one kind or another, if whether you add chili to it or rosemary or thyme or mint, you know, suddenly that's a different that's a potato salad thing going on, you know, or bay if you're baking something, you know, you're, you're turning those kind of standard ingredients into something very different every meal if you want to. And it, it's and a revelation. It is, it's great. It's, uh, you know, I, I often feel like the, the only thing that sort of sets a, a, bla a, a boring meal and a chef's meal apart is just the addition of quite yeah. a lot of herbs. You know, they just yeah. push them on there. They chop them up in huge profusion. Put them, that's what he does, Jamie Oliver. He's just shoving herbs on things. Well, what's, what's Jamie Oliver famous for? If you, if you look at his cooking, what would you say? You'd say coriander, yeah. mint, lime, maybe lemongrass. Um, uh, 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 and chili, right? Yeah, they're, chili and coriander, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, and and they're they're all kind of they're all growable at home. Yeah. And 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 they're very easy to grow, and they're great volume and 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 that is what he he just goes. Listen, what we're here for? We're here for flavour and a, a good time and pleasure, you know. So let's yeah. throw the bloody stuff in. Yeah. And that is that is the thing that will make such a difference. And like I say, you could you could have the same, I don't know, you could have the same tumbly lovely salad of of kind of all the summer stuff like you know cucumber and and chickpeas and tomatoes and maybe mango or peach or whatever mm. big tumbly salad of it with with i don't know leaves and and maybe bamboo shoots or not bamboo shoots what they called uh, bean shoots um or bean sprouts come on wake up bean sprouts uh, babe bean sprouts. all of that tumble it all up and if you throw mint in it's a completely different meal to yeah. if you throw coriander in and that's the joy of the transformers they just are different clothes in which to dress your food up in yeah. and they're eminently easy to grow and they're expensive to buy yes and that's the thing, so that's the thing to grow. So let's just talk about this thing about, because this is what I'm obsessed with. In the garden, I know you're not interested in flowers, but uh, except, unless they're edible. But uh, this idea of doing less and getting more. Yeah. And in terms of design, then, you're talking about uh, throughout the straight lines. Mm. Uh, when we're thinking about our veg or, put, or having some veg in the garden, it might, it might not all be veg. It could yeah. be a flower garden. Um, but if but if we've got a veg plot or a little tiny um, bit of a raised bed, yeah. design wise, are you saying are you saying chuck it all in and use your intuition, or are there some rules that people can follow? Yeah, I think um, I mean it, it's interesting that usually we do something you know as you kind of described there, which is to separate the edible from the the, the ornamental, you know, and and mm. I. I, I I'm not a big fan of that because, um, you know, I, I although I over egg it, you know, I do. There are some um, uh, a handful of ornamentals. I'm very happy to welcome into the garden because they're marvellous. But it, 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 it's a kind of false distinction. The plants don't know that they're edible or not no, to us. No. So I think that, that there's a whole world that we can bring into um, growing edible things um, together with the ornamental if we want to. We can perfectly well grow in the style of ornamental gardening, if you see what I mean, you know, uh, uh, employing all the kind of delightful aesthetics of design and kind of form and, and looking for punctuation and kind of movement in the garden and all of that kind of thing with edible stuff. And that, mm. whether you mix them up or whether you make it kind of um, just edible, but take those principles is entirely up to you. I mean, there, there's um, 
forest gardening is is quite a big thing and they you know they Talks, call it yes tell us about the principles of forest gardening because i think people become a little bit mind boggled by that yeah it's it's really 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 simple and i think um the other thing is it's also very adaptable so people often switch off when they hear the first bit about trees yeah if you've got a small space or you don't want trees it doesn't matter the thinking is the same and the thinking really is that if you take an allotment as as your kind of standard way of growing edible stuff it's pretty much a two-dimensional space you know um whereas the forest garden you're you're thinking in three dimensions so you're not just planting in the kind of horizontal sense you're kind of tearing things um in the way that you would it, it sort of mimics um a a a young natural woodland so you might have in this these latitudes probably not but you might have big canopy trees mm -hmm. smaller trees beneath and then you're into kind of you know reasonable size shrubs you go down into the herbaceous layer then you've got ground cover you've got all the underground stuff you've got climbers that go in between everything so yeah there's six or seven kind of tiers there any of which you can choose to have or not have um but essentially that's kind of what we do with regular what we call regular kind of garden design isn't it yeah, we, we think absolutely. of it we think and of it's it. just taking those principles they're, yeah. they're not they don't do your brain in or anything like that you can choose which or not you want and then really it's about planting to suit those um to suit the actual plants that you've chosen so it, it, a, a, a good way of going about it is is for example to just come up with what you want your garden to actually look like you know in terms of there's going to be a big tree there there's going to be a small one there there's going to be a whole load of shrubs around here i want this to be fairly low lying so maybe it will be more herbaceous around here and um, and then is to populate that with plants that you think that could be good or i really like that or that's delicious or i like the sound of that or that looks amazing um rather than uh, you can come the other way around which is to you know start with the plants and think okay how am i going to go with it but thinking about the design is quite important because it needs to look good it needs to work well together and so what but, but when when i think of forest and i think of uh, different stories of uh, or different levels of planting that uh, is necessarily all of that is going to cast shade onto the bottom story isn't it yeah. so a lot of vegetables are, are out out of the well, it, it, yes and no that the, the the thing to do always is to suit that to where you are so in our latitude, I would say don't be thinking about planting big canopy trees. You don't want anything really shading yeah. like crazy. But then if you've got, you know, moderate sized trees um, or you've got a big space, you know, um, but let's just look on a kind of regular garden scale. If you've got an apple tree here, a quince there, a medlar there, a mulberry here, then yes, there's going to be shade underneath. Um, but you, you, you and this is the trick with forest gardening is you plant it like it was fully grown. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, you end up thinning out like crazy. Right. Um, but there will be there will be areas of shade. But that's great because that's where your sweet Sicilies go. That's where your good King Indeed. Henrys go. You know, all of these other things that love a bit of shade or are woodland edge things like raspberries. You know, there there are so many things that don't want just straight big fat light. You know, but you can even then you can you can make lots of clearings in in this to to accommodate annual veg if you want or you know the tomatoes the things that, that are really kind of sun heavy. Yeah. Um, it's perfectly that's what you're that's what you want to be designing in there is is some opportunities for the things that you want to grow and and just to be open to the concept of of the of the glorious morsel rather than the crop per se i think i think, yeah, I think this is it i think you can you can choose um you know we've got a lot more control over how much we get and when we get it then we think you know if if you love to preserve and jam making and preserves is your thing then you want a tree or trees or plants or bushes that all produce their thing at the same time. You know, you right. don't want um, something that's going to produce kind of gradually over the bush, you know, or, or, or something like that. You know, you don't you, you want to choose different. You want to choose for, um, varieties of raspberry, say, that all fruit at the same time. Right. But if so you want you it over a long do your canning all in one go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you can do it the other way, too. And I'm I think what I mean, you know, you could you there there are sure there are lots of things that you can grow that don't produce a whole lot but if you love them that's great but equally you can have you know tons of mulberries off a single tree you know or i say tons uh, many kilos of mulberries off off a single tree many of of medlars and all these these other you know quince but they also give you say in the in the, in the case of quince you, you don't have it's not like you pick it and you've got to use it instantly in the yeah. way that you do a mulberry let's say um so these are all things to kind of work in there you know because i think what certainly in my experience and this may be different for 
all kind, you know, people think of this very differently. But from my point of view, I don't want to, the definition of failure to me is to bring three wheelbarrows of stuff to the kitchen that I feel under pressure to use. <laughs> I know what's How gonna, joy sapping is that? Yeah, it's just the worst. It's worse than it not having worked. Because yes. you know that a lot of this is going to get wasted. If it doesn't, the joy has gone out of it. The, you're going to end up making, you know, 18 skipfuls of jam um, <laughs> that you end up giving away to Auntie Marge, who, who you know, um, and so on and so on. And actually is to try and make the space kind of work with what you want. Do you want lots of autumn fruit? Do you want stuff through the summer? Do you want a bit of both? Do you want drip, drip, drip? Or do you want gluts? All mm. of these things are really kind of in your control. Yeah. But, and the thing of shifting to a lot of a sort of perennial um things that you grow it, the, the power of that is that it's it is low maintenance you know, yeah so but, this is what it's sorry to interrupt you but this is what you're this is the the thing that you shout about a lot isn't it is is look at the perennials and really really think about putting them in instead of the high maintenance uh, rest of the bunch yeah I, I think I think yeah no it's it's it, the the thing with perennials right you get you get lots of things with perennials you buy it once and you've got it for a long time if not forever mm which is a kind of pretty pokey thing when you think about it, you know, that's um, really kind of wonderful. You know, you set it up a little bit of maintenance to start and away you go, you're, you're into productivity for a long time. And whether that, that could be lemon verbena, it could be ginger, rosemary, it could be plums, it could be whatever. Um, but also they get away quicker. They aren't, un, they aren't so vulnerable in spring because they've already got an established root system. They're not trying to get going in hazardous conditions that may include lots of rain, lots of frost, um, all the pests waking up, all of that stuff. They're already there with it, with the, the engine room to get going, mm. um, and and they offer you kind of a, a, a one of one of the one of the criticisms that um, some people, James Alexander Sinclair being one of them, is James. James, yes, I know he can criticise anything. I don't believe it. Um, it, it is is that the edible garden is all very well, but that you chop it down the instant it looks nice and that is often the case with an annual base garden you know absolutely there's, there's the cauliflower for the 10 minutes it's ripe let's chop it and um, before it, it it goes to to flower and, and go well it is already in flower but you know what i mean before it bolts and goes silly um and, and that's you know fair enough but if you've got the more perennial your garden is the more loveliness you have for a longer time for structure over the winter all of those things really I, i'm saying shift to ornamental gardening using edibles and yes. you'll have and no matter what scale you are you don't need 18 acres or an acre you, even a small garden even a raised bed will work that way you've just got to tailor it to the plants that you want to put in there so can you give us your three favorites uh, easy ones to, that people might start with three e really easy kind of rewarding things i think the the thing to remember all the time is is the rewards you know what yeah. what one out of this and i number one i i say this all it's the answer i say it's the answer to every question on gardener's question time <laughs> is is sweet sicily um, oh yes definitely you, you can you know you can grow it in the shade you can grow it out there it's something that comes along really early in the year it shows you and shows kids you know if you, if you ever get asked what should i grow um to show kids or or in a school garden i'd say sweet sicily every day because it goes through the thing of being absolutely not there coming into leaf really early in spring so it's kind of encouraging it flowers really early it goes to seed really early and the whole thing is just amazing and wonderful and it brings in lots of beneficial insects in a really short time it shows you all of that and then carries on doing it through the whole year yeah. um, it's delicious it's it's sweet and slightly aniseed or quite aniseed but in a in a sweet way so it's often it was traditionally used to sweeten things like rhubarb uh, and, and all that kind of thing it's perennial it keeps coming back it comes out very early it's there all year it looks great brings in beneficial insects and it's delicious oh. stick some into a bottle of vodka and leave it alone for two weeks and you're having a really really amazing <laughs> and then drink a bottle of vodka and drink um, it i always that. say speaking of vodka um, that yeah. sweet sicily is like like the best party guest you could possibly want because it turns up early and yes. it, it it's it's on brilliant form the entire party it get, hands around sweeties and yeah. <laughs> and yes. then it's the last to leave and it clears up <laughs> the, 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 here we are you see uh, isn't that exactly what you want and uh, so that's number one okay um, uh, um, um i say it's number one but number one also is lemon verbena because you have to have lemon verbena <gasps> but see that's that is that is the noise one makes when one says lemon verbena it's is a joyous sherbet noise Yes, yeah, it's lemon and sherbet. It's like lemons, but better. And it's zingy and bright and high and lovely. And it's it's um, 
if you aren't familiar with it, then there are lots of ways to use it. I make um, lemon verbena syrup, which is equal amounts of sugar and water, and throw some leaves in once you've warmed it. Once you've warmed up the um, sugar and water enough for it to dissolve, take it off the heat, throw some leaves in, leave it, keep tasting it. When it tastes nice, which might be 10 minutes or it might be two hours, depending on how many how much of the leaves you've thrown in, um, you take the leaves out and you bottle it and bung it in the fridge, and it will stay for months. And it's great in cocktails. It's great on a lemon drizzle cake. It's very good just with sparkling water. You can use it to bake, um, you know, by lining the cake, uh, lining the cake, lining the tin of a cake, lining a cake tin. Uh, I'll start that again. You can use it to bake by lining a cake tin with it um, and then pouring the batter in and it infuses in the same way that a bay leaf might, but you oh, don't delicious. necessarily want to eat the thing. But you can make lemon verbena sugar by swizzing it, drying them and swizzing it up in with a load of sugar. Um, I mean, endless kind of thing. And how so, do you grow it? Because it's not totally hardy, is it? No, it, it, the, the, it, it depends where you are. If you're, um, you know, if you're in the middle of somewhere like London where the temperature is pretty good through the winter um, and you keep it near the house, um, uh, you'll be fine. You'll probably be fine in the south, southern part of the country if you keep it against the house anyway. Mm. Um, I'm in Devon, mine are outside near the house, um, you know, against the wall in containers and they do perfectly well in spring back merrily. Um, but maybe different in, in, in the Pennines or something. Um, in, so <laughs> maybe different in the Pennines. Maybe just slightly in the Pennines. Um, hello up there, Lancastrians. Yeah, um, we it, love it, you. We, do, we literally Sorry do. Sorry about the lemon verbena. Home you can have other things. <laughs> yes, dandelion and burdock. You can have uh, perfectly happy with. Um, but you can lemon verbena. Grow it in a pot outside if you're up there, and then um, and then just bring it um, undercover um, uh, over winter. Um, don't water it too much because it doesn't really like wet roots in winter, and then pop it out again. And it just grows and grows. Keeps coming back. The more you cut it, the more it grows, um, and that's amazing. And that would be um, the second one I would do. Okay, brilliant. Next. Next, next, I'm going to throw you a tree in because, um, and I'm going to slightly cheat. Okay. Because uh, that's my nature. We like a cheat. We like a cheat. Yes. Um, if anyone says to me, what what should I think about my orchard? I name I name a few trees um, straight away. And I'll, I, and you can choose any one of these because they're, A, they're almost impossible to buy in the shops. They're amazingly delicious. They're so fertile, so one is God, good. what are they? What are they? Mulberry, quince, <laughs> medlar. Every time, mulberry, quince, medlar, okay. they would be straight away the ones that I would say, because you don't need two of them. They are beautifully productive. Um, they have unbuyable flavours. There are all sorts of things you can do with any of them. Um, and, and they're just beautiful trees as okay, well. Okay, so it's if somebody wants... Sorry, trees, Asian pear. Sorry, 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 sorry. Say that again, Asian pear. If Yes, if, you, if you've got room for two trees, I would go Asian pears because they're so much better than the ones you buy in the shops. They're beautiful, beautiful trees. They flower so much. They're just the best sight in spring. Uh, and then they they grow these um, you know they look like apples that have been sprayed gold, and oh. they're honeyed and aromatic and they're kind of crisp a little bit like um, a little bit like uh, at the really best of apples. But they kind of if you bite into them and they 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 kind of the bit you've bitten off kind of goes with a fot. Yeah, a fot. That's fot. exactly uh, the sound, isn't it? It's like an apple exactly. and a pear, but it's not. You might think that that made the apple sort of. A sort of flowery apple it's not like that it's it's juicy and succulent and, and brilliant but crisp and it, it's all of those things yes, you know? yeah. and, and and then the winter color is uh, sorry the autumn color is just extraordinary so there i've cheated quite a lot at the end but um okay but just but, let's can we just zone in zoom in on a mulberry okay because mulberries fascinate me and i've always wanted one and if uh, if i were to buy a mulberry mm -hmm. how large a tree would you buy and how soon will it start fruiting and where should I put it and how long would it take for that tree to become all gnarly and mulberry-esque which is what oh, I want they're, they're very they're all very very good questions and they're and, and and people are slightly afraid of how long a mulberry will take to produce so if you were going to get um, something like a King James or, or Chelsea you know the same essentially the same thing um, a familiar mulberry I get as old a one as you can afford stroke find because they they can take you know a few years to produce but nothing I mean everyone I remember when I was thinking about plants I'm like, oh they take 15 years no they don't mm. they take four or five maybe right. um, which is nothing for a gardener it's, it's not really and and if you buy one that's three or four years old then happy days you'll, you'll be into some straight away I mean and and often they will produce earlier than that in year three um but you have an option which is to um there are quite a few um hybrids around very briefly there are three kinds of um three kinds of color currently mulberry there's mm -hmm. the white there's the black and there's the red and happily 
the white ones can be purple or red. The red ones can be white or purple, and the 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 purple ones can be white or red. Um, so they can, in terms of the fruit colour. I'm color, so lost, but go on, go on, go on. Yes, they can, <laughs> don't be fooled by the, the colour. Is what I'm saying. Okay. But essentially, what you want is hybrids of the two, and there are many around. Things like Illinois Everbearing and um, Carmen and Ivory. Um, they they produce really really well, really really early. Um, they're really hardy. They make slightly smaller trees than than um, than the familiar kind of you know the, the usual mulberry that we find. Yeah. Um, they, they have so the same suitable for slightly smaller gardens. Yeah, but you know what you can do. People, I mean, and, and and again, you know, mulberries don't get huge quickly. But no. what they what you can do is is grow them kind of slightly Christmas tree like in their early years, and then lop the top off, oh. and they turn into a lovely umbrella. Because that's what you want. You want that sort of breadth with a mulberry, don't you? You do. You want something that you can sit under, yes. naked, and be covered in oh, purple. Covered in purple. Oh. Because, uh, friends, you cannot buy a mulberry in a shop. No. Uh, maybe Not a Bamford shop. But other than that, no, frankly, no. You can't, you're not going to get them. Because, because they, 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 if, you, if you've picked them at the right stage, which is when you can just about get them off the tree without turning them into juice with your hands, then then they, they've they got, you know, half a day before they've collapsed under the weight of their brilliance, you know. Oh. So um, you, you've, if you find them in the shops, don't buy them because they've no. been picked too early, they'll be too sharp. You want to get them, like I say, when they are falling in, almost falling into juice, you know, you've got just enough time to get them into the house and make eaten mess or the best ice cream you've ever had or throw some into vodka um for for a year later when they are the most extraordinary make the most extraordinary drink yeah. um, and then I, I genuinely i'm not convinced i would be doing what i was what i'm doing now if it wasn't for the mulberry really the, when Tell i tasted this story i was well, I, I was I was working in, um, in Suffolk in my previous work life, and I, the person I was working with said, "Oh, you know, you're staying with us tonight. Isn't it great that the mulberry's in fruit?" And I'm like, "Yeah." Uh, <laughs> and she, "Oh, you've never had a mulberry?" I'm like, "No." Uh, and in my head, I'm going, "Do you know what? If they were that good, they'd be in the shops, wouldn't they? So they must be like all right." And and I had some that evening, and I, it just they just blew me away. Yeah. I, I was like, and, and and it was the window in really into. Um, blowing apart that myth that I'd had in my head that the best stuff hits the shops. No, These are totally so. unbuyable because of other reasons. You know, they fall apart. Yeah. You can't, you can't transport. And and I thought, you know what, I've got, if I want to eat this again, and having tasted it, I God knows I can't just go the rest of my life. Just describe, if people haven't had a mulberry, which is quite possible. Yeah. Just describe Oh, it is. That. It's really possible. Most people uh, most definitely won't have had uh, a mulberry, um, which is a crying shame. They're, they're, oh, crikey, what is it? It's, it's somewhere... Like it's somewhere between a black, a really, really good blackberry, a really good blueberry, and a really good raspberry with a bit of sherbet. And oh, it, it, I think it, that's it, a it, very it, good description. Oh, and they're, they're extraordinary. I mean, it, it, the, 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 once you've had one, you want to say they taste deep purple. Yeah. And, that, and that's what you, you know, because they do, they somehow taste deep purple it's the texture um, I, isn't it it just oh. the way it explodes it just um, it just it's just the it's just when you've had one you go oh my god that is um that is the best fruit there is yeah. and all it's slightly bad in a way because it slightly spoils you for the other stuff yes. um but because you can't get them apart from that little window usually in august um you forget how amazing they are um and and you carry on with raspberries and strawberries and blueberries and go, these are really good. And they are really good. And then you have a mulberry and go, oh, yes, you're the one I love. <laughs> you're my truly It does, truly as you one. say, it kind of opens your, it blows your mind. It opens yeah. the idea up to the, the, the possibilities are, are endless. And there's, there's so much more out there than, than what we can find in the shops. It's really true. But can I just really quickly encourage yeah. anyone who's never had a mulberry, if you go online and you google something like mulberry locations um uh I'll put mulberry fruit actually otherwise you'll be getting yourself a load of handbags um <laughs> is is uh, put mulberry fruit locations some great person has put a kind of database online of all of the locations of public um mulberries loads Isn't of that them a kind it's, person it's, i can't imagine being so nice no, to do exactly. that. <laughs> this, this is the person we want to accelerate into the position of prime minister. Indeed. Uh, got, this, is, this is demonstrating all that we want in, in a leader. Um, I and, want and, to interview uh, this person on my podcast. Yes. <laughs> I need to yes. find them. 
Because they are the go, goodest person in the world. You are literally the goodest person in the world. And, yeah. and, and, that, and you find out where they are. And then, of course, you can go and pick them in kind of usually mid to late August um, and, and try them. And my world, you'll be convinced. OK, so this actually leads me very, very neatly on to this concept of, of sharing. Um, uh, because when you were talking about the forest garden, you were talking about not planting things too closely leaving some space in between I thought oh weeds um <laughs> and uh <laughs> and pests so then my mind went on to pests you know if you just put things in the ground with no, no no protection around them you get your slugs and you get your snails and all sorts of things and um it reminded me of a um of a wonderful guy who lives out he's dead now but he he lives out in the cork forest in Spain he's got pot-bellied pigs and uh, he grew his own you know, drugs and all that kind of stuff. But he also had wonderful, wonderful fruit, incredible fruit all over. And he didn't net anything. And I said, I, you have to go, you have to park your car sort of two miles away and then hike to go and see him in his lean-to. Um, and I said, you know, what do you do? Uh, because uh, surely all your fruit gets eaten by the birds. And he just looked at me incredulously and he said, we share. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is it. This is it. We share. We share. And, yeah. and and that opened my mind a lot. And ever since then, I've been extremely relaxed about um, about my my food that I grow. I don't grow enough of it. Um, and I wondered how you felt about that. You know, and yeah. about uh, this obsession with stopping pests from getting your stuff, and and whether we should just let it happen and just plant more. Yeah. No. I'm. I'm. I'm I'm of the sharing variety. I mean, you, but within with there are certain bounds. You know, if if for example cherries, you know, I would plant a cherry, full in the knowledge the birds are going to get it. And if not, I'm going to have to plant a dwarf one in a in a in a in a, in a fruit cage or something. You know, and and there there you you get occasionally you get things getting wiped out, and that's not ideal. But you have to look in the. I'm I'm a big fan of kind of embracing the whole deal rather than a little bit of the deal. And I think if you if you want to keep a pest out, then the trouble is you end up keeping more than just the pest out. You keep the good stuff out. Yes. Um, by Either by removing the, 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 the pollinator's food, yeah. which might be your pest, um, or, or just by physically kind of excluding too much. And I, I want, you know, diversity is always, always, always a good thing. It's always the kind of key to a really good garden in that things will hold themselves in balance much better if you allow, uh, you know, all the things, you know, down through the the kind of um, the ecological chain. You know, you, you need all of that. And of course, if you've got slugs and slugs are a pain in the bum, you just got to think what eats slugs. OK, frogs do let's have a little pond you yes. know and by a little pond i don't mean anything expensive or i'm just saying just dig a little bit of a depression put a few you know, something to line it and then the frogs will appear of their own accord and they'll be seeing off the slugs for you yeah. and i i'm a big fan of that i'm not saying let's not do something about a pest that comes along i'm perfectly happy to use you know um biological controls i'm not going to use chemicals because i'm you know why do you shit where you just. eat you know you want oh. you, you, you want to you eat to good stuff don't you? you know so um but i i think if if you again if you if uh, without kind of wishing to denigrate allotments because i really love allotments but they in a in a way they they are such an arrested ecology mm. they're so far away from what would happen naturally that your energy is spent constantly fighting the the procession of nature to want to do other things if you bear the soil it wants to recover yeah, you know it's is what it does so it grows the easiest thing that will spring up which is endless weed seeds that are in there so you're constantly removing them if you don't leave that brown space that won't happen so these i mean these things are kind of really obvious and straightforward to everyone some people love to garden in that way and that's really good you know monty's um a big fan of digging he lo you know as in he loves the kind of action of digging and I, and I think hey if that's what you like doing do it's that it's really good exercise you know it's, it's really but good it, if you love it, it do but it does, um, you know, there's, there's strong evidence, isn't there, that it destroys the soil structure. Are you a no dig? Or? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a very, very minimal dig. You know, I, I don't, I, 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 in, by that I mean I don't grow much in the way of annual veg. Mm. Um, so I don't get much chance to kind of be dig or no dig. So, um, mm. But when I do, I, I 
do it no dig and and uh, there are the odd bits that i might just because it's you know i want to i want to clear it really quickly or something like that you know but otherwise i'm entirely in with um you know charles dowding and his 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 ways and and, and what's interesting with charles i think is that he's he's taken what essentially is a relatively old idea but he's absolutely gone to town on it and shown every you know, made it so accessible but he's, he's he's very meticulous about everything he does to do with it he he means he makes it so that everybody can take it on that um that absolutely. everybody knows you know how to how to do it and all of that stuff so yeah i'm i'm i, I my thing is encourage diversity in your garden if you do that then you'll have all sorts in there things will be kept mostly in a, a nice ecological balance at the times that it isn't take action then which usually for me is a biological control or introducing um, a new thing like a little pond that will bring the frogs in that will do for the slugs. Mm-hmm. So that's the way to go. And for anyone who doesn't know who Charles Dardingham is, I, I will link to him in the show notes, but um, I will also try to interview him on this podcast. But basically, mm-hmm. no dig is just, just, just leave your soil alone. Okay, guys, just leave it yeah. alone. Just don't tread on it or, or, de- or mess about with it. Too exactly, because underneath okay. that surface. Yeah. It's all going on. It's perfectly happy. There's all the filaments of fine roots and, and, and um, uh, uh, mycorrhiza and everything's moving around perfectly happily. And it's got lots of space to do that. And the minute you start upsetting that, then it has to recreate all of that. And that can take time. Yeah. It takes, so, so Mother Nature is very, very good at doing what she does. Uh, just just leave it alone. <laughs> work with. Work um, with. And your life's easier. Speaking of which... Um, can you tell us a bit about Otter Farm and uh, and you, which was your climate change farm and and mm-hmm. the 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 idea behind that? And I also want to get on to how you how you cope with. I, I'm very interested in how people cope with climate anxiety, which is um, mm. something that's just very very prevalent right now. And uh, um, my children are uh, entering into that world, so I'd love to know okay. how you feel about that. Yeah, it's t- it's difficult, isn't it? But yes, the, I mean, the well, the idea with the farm was that I wanted to grow um, lots of delicious things, and I realised I didn't know what I was doing when I started. So I made a big list of all the food I liked and wanted to grow, knocked out all the stuff that was being done perfectly well by somebody not very far away, and I ended up with lots of forgotten things like quinces, medlars, mulberries, um, and lots of things that were right on the margin. And I, it occurred to me that it might be possible with the degrees of climate change that we're committed to even if we turn good in an instant that things like almonds and um, apricots and peaches and uh, uh, pecans and things like that might be perfectly possible in the same way that um, grapes have been and we produce really good sparkling wine you know and, and of course that marries with expertise and the right varieties being around and all that stuff um, so that's why I started planting a lot of that stuff and, and the idea being you know hang on a minute if we could grow this stuff here commercially um, and more people took it on as they will in time you know over the next decades um, then it means that we're producing food that we otherwise would be importing from overseas so there's a kind of nice way there of harnessing the climate change that is irrevocable um, and this was massively same... ahead of its time uh, when you began I well mean, I, I, people I maybe balk? well yeah there was a lot of you know and 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 there still is. I mean, you know, the, 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 the it's it's an it's an ongoing thing to see whether these things will produce over time when they're mature, you know, because you plant things 10, 15 years ago and they take a while, especially something like a pecan. It takes a while to, you know, it, it, it sits there looking at you for mm. five years without doing a thing because <laughs> uh, uh, it's putting down big roots. And then it suddenly starts growing on top. You think, hello, you, you, you haven't died after all. Um, and, and, and so, you know, some things take time like that. But I think the idea of um taking what we know we're going to get in terms of a shift in temperature um and and in terms of trying to build ways of growing stuff um uh, uh, systems of growing stuff like agroforestry and forest gardens that are resilient to big deluges to big droughts and so on it's yeah. absolutely part of how we eat um uh, from a from a kind of domestic market if you see what i mean you know from yeah. from from british stuff um but you know climate change and, and this is this is the thing you know my 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 kind of educational background is in is environmental you know i did a um environmental management and and so on um uh, masters at oxford brooks years ago mm. and uh, and then went into consultancy doing that kind of stuff and it's it's difficult to you know, not being funny, the correct response to the state we're in is absolute panic. You yeah. know, that is the perfectly logical response. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but what is difficult 
is is to know what we can do about it. And I think it's interesting because um, George Monbiot, who's a man I, I kind of admire and, and, and so on, he recently said, look, you know, it's pointless us doing the tinkering around the edges. It's governments that need to change. And that, that is, I, I agree with the heart of that um, in terms of practically, you know, we can go on recycling this and turning the thermostat down a degree. And yeah, but they, it's the big business. It's the big stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. We, but, and this is the, the key thing for me, it's the bit that I, where I disagree with it is government is, um, government will do what it can to, um, it, it, and by that I mean, if it can get away with something, it will, because the pressures of business and the economy are the primary ones. Yeah. So until all the technologies catch up, then you're left with a government who will be very, very much led by what will think will, what they think will get it into power and to stay in the power. Yeah. And if we personally, individually, don't take the steps to minimise our footprint like that, and for that to become something that is in our minds and the way that we live, then there is no we're not we're not acting consciously like that we're constantly saying it's somebody else who has yeah. to do something yeah. so if we do all the stuff yes it may not make the difference in terms of practically numbers but it, it will make a difference because it, it will foster joy yeah. and it will foster a, lo a love affair it will begin a love affair that will hmm. create commitment surely and that's it if we've got an active if we've got an active population who are themselves trying to reduce um, you know their, their carbon footprint that is a mindset and that yeah. mindset then go, it, it goes to the pole with you it yeah. goes you know it becomes a powerful tool and I think that's really important so um, you know on, on, on one hand you know I, one hand I get really bored of people who are like do you know what we've got to recycle all the plastic that we use mm. and spend all their time flying around the world you know I mean it literally it literally doesn't matter no. you know it, it doesn't you cannot tinker around the edges and and do the big stuff you know we we have to kind of reduce knock out the big stuff is 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 the stuff to do and if that means that you fly less or it's slightly more in, inconvenient to get to somewhere because you go by train then you have to answer those i mean i don't tell people what to do but you have to make that decision yourself but i you think know? it you know i think that it is a mindset and it is okay to inconvenience yourself, <laughs> you know, I agree. And, I mean, and, and by inconveniencing yourself, you're not only doing your bit, you're also getting much, much more delicious stuff. I mean, I mean, if you go to yeah. the, the, the farmer's market, that's an inconvenience, isn't it? <laughs> Instead of going yeah. to the supermarket, yeah. uh, you're, you're finding, you're finding community, aren't you? And you're, yeah. you're, you're getting the best stuff. I think this is it. And I think there are lots of benefits to it. You know, I mean, like, like you know, I'm, I'm by no means uh, a spring chicken. I've flown four times in my life. Right. Right. And and I'm not saying I'm never going to fly again. But is that a conscious I, decision, or do you just yeah. hate flying? Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't learn to drive till I was 32. Really. You know, I'm like, you know, and I got around. I you know, didn't it's know that about you, Mark. No, well, I mean, well, I, I, it's it, it's a it, it's a, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you take personal decisions you think are right, yeah. and this minute you start going. Why don't you do that? You know, everyone's like, yeah. you know, I, I, I you know, it, 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 <laughs> you, you kind of, you know, you, it's a, it's a careful, but I don't want to, you know, uh, but you know, hey, life's been good, life's been good. I'm not, you know, I've got friends in Australia, got friends in the states. I'm not saying I'm never going to fly again, but if I've got to do something in Ireland, I go by ferry. Yes. You know, if I've got to do yeah. something in Scotland, I go on the train. It might take me longer, but you know what? The train, I love it. And often it doesn't actually take any longer. You know, if I'm going to go to Glasgow, I'm going to go. Okay, I've got to get up at silly o'clock. I've got to get to Bristol, what, two hours before the plane goes? The plane goes, I get off the other end. Did it, you know, by the time I get into the, it might take me two hours longer. You know, it's like, mm, that's yeah. all right. That's all and right. So and, you, you're bringing up your daughter in, in this, with this type of attitude. Does she come to you with concerns about climate change? If so, how do you, yeah. talk, how do you talk to her about it? It's, it's really difficult because um, she's looking at one of the people who to blame. Yeah, you know, we, we've spent we spent the last 150 years partying very hard Indeed. on on, on uh, old energy, and that's what it is. We're burning old energy, releasing all this carbon, um, and and it's difficult. But but I think what we have, and I, I'm thank heavens for it. I think we've got generations coming through, and even my generation, uh, we're 
we're getting over the whole deal about kind of kowtowing and doffing the cap to the to those that be you know we're getting back to we? we're getting back to you know being being active protesting yeah. taking kind of action making things happen you know um and and that to me is a really important thing you know we're, we we are society you know we're, we've, we've we've deferred so much to what we see as authority um and 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 they're only there because we give them the authority to be. I mean, it's very difficult when you you have leaders and people who are running for the, the leadership actually getting people behind them when we know that they're not telling the truth. Yeah. You know, we know that. And, you know, I don't know if you, uh, without getting too heavy into it, but, you know, all when they, when all the five leaders were, um, uh, 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 or people going for leadership of the Tory party were being interviewed the other day, there was a, a young woman on there talking about, you know, are you prepared to commit to climate change action by 2025 and they all go no 2050 and and the point is that it doesn't matter what you say if you do it for 2050 because it literally is too late you know it's, it's like saying, are you, are you going to have tea ready by seven o'clock this evening no i'm going to have it ready by two o'clock in the morning uh, and but i'll be asleep by then so you know and it's the same thing so we we let people get away with what we know are lies because they are convenient lies yeah and that's the thing we've got to stop doing that um so I do. I think we need to take personal action um, or not. But, you know, I look at my daughter, who's who's 13 going on 14. And I think my generation has been responsible for putting, I mean, let's not mess around, you know, putting the planet at risk. Yeah. I mean, we, we know that. It, it sounds dramatic, but it's true. It and is the true. Fact, and it's too big for us to wake up every morning going, oh, crikey, the planet's dying. Yes. You know, we're going, right, shall I have crap muesli for breakfast again? Yeah. You know, and because we have to. But the bigger thing is we can't put our um, we can't put our head in the sand. I'm, I'm optimistic because the, the generation, you know, people in their 20s, 30s, people in their teens are more active. They're more um, knowledgeable. They're less deferring to authority and yet are delightfully respectful of themselves and others. And they mm. are... Um, they're, they're kind of not convinced by the old lies that we are and I'm very I agree very with you. and they've got technology which will help them and, and even if that's linking people together yeah. um, uh, in, in a way it's easier to band together than it ever has been so well, it means we I'm don't have to fly to Australia uh. yeah. but, you know, <laughs> and this is something I'm, I would never say I'm don't fly to because you know if you've got the love of your life or your dying mum or a brilliant thing to do somewhere go do it but if there's another way of doing it, do it. Of course, yeah. You know, that's I, I, Yeah, I mean, we're obviously we're coming at this from an immense position of privilege, and you know, there are some people who simply can't, aren't able to do any of these things, even the small things. Yeah, um, and, I, and 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 they aren't the cause. No, and, they are you know, not the cause. And that's that's it. You know, the, <laughs> the, the nature of it is: the more privileged we are, the better off we are the more we're liable to pollute and, and the more we're going to be a cause of it, either by overconsumption or by making choices um, to, to, to pollute because that's what we want to do. Yeah. We want to do the thing and we don't mind when it comes down to it. And that's that's the way it is. And, um, you know, that's 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 it. The, pe the people who are and, and, and of course, what we also know is the people who are most affected by it are those who are less able to impact it, either by having been a cause or by doing things that, that make it better because they're not causing it in the first place. So, um, And they are the ones, it's always the weak, the vulnerable, the poor uh, and, and, the, and, the, and the disenfranchised who are um, most affected by things like climate change. Always. And, uh, and that, that noise, by the way, is, is the rubbish truck outside uh, my house uh, picking up my rubbish because Good. I am a privileged person. <laughs> Who can create rubbish? And, and, Who can create rubbish? <laughs> um, so, okay, can you talk to me just before we go, uh, talk to me about your new book because uh, I haven't had sight of it yet. So just give it, give, give it to me in a nutshell and uh, I'm so excited to see it. Well, do you know what? It's literally... Uh, two minutes before we started talking, um, the first copy in the world has, <gasps> and, and, and I'm very excited because um, it's it's a real thing. Because you know what it's like with a book or anything like that. You know, you write it and it's just um, it's a big fat document, and then you send it off and everyone plays with it and they do a brilliant thing, and it comes back and you go, oh my god, you've made it look nice, um, and they oh. totally have. So it's a book about everything sour, um, and. The, the the glory of sourness really is i think that it, so it's, it's got everything from the souring skills you mm. know like making sourdough 
everything to do with fermenting, you know, drinks, vegetables, fruit, whatever. Um, all of the things like making making the kind of sour cheeses that you can do at home, all of that. But it's also a kind of uh, a bit of a hymn to sourness and how to use it to make your meals better, to make them more interesting, to to um, often bringers of health, you know, either through the fermentation process where you're giving yourself wonderful kind of blessings of, of gut health and gut bacteria that are good for you or through, you know, all the vitamin C that comes through the citrus and everything. But it's really a way, I think, a, a celebration of sourness, both in using it to become a better cook, but also in itself, it's one of the kind of forgotten flavors we're very attached to sweet and by god sweet is great um but we 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 kind of cast out bitter and sour a little bit and and sourness i think is the key to good cooking so it's got 140 odd recipes um that will have everything from the very tiniest sourness that makes all the difference you know a a a tiny bit of vinegar um on really ordinary apricots when you roast them makes them just become the best Never oh, yeah. done that before. No, and it's and, and it's one of those things. Just the teen, you know, a couple of drops on each half um, of a really ordinary shop apricot, a little bit of sugar on the top, and you end up with this. You're going. Oh, that's actually a real amazing, gorgeous apricot to real kind of eye closing. Um, oh my God, that's sour. You know, a, a, yeah. there's a few cocktails in there where you're like, if you're not stamping your foot while you're drinking it and you can open both <laughs> eyes at the aid of a finger and thumb, then it's not sour enough. It's you need not to sour it. enough. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's a real hymn to that. But I do believe it's the it's the way in which you become a better cook is to um, learn how to use sourness. Even if you can't taste that it's sour, it, it will just be there doing wonderful things. I'm constantly fascinated by what um, what the brain does with taste. And um, and I don't know whether it's just me. In fact, I've never spoken to anyone about this before. But whenever I think about vinegar or very, very sour things, mm. um, the the back bit on each side of my tongue starts to seep uh, saliva. That's it. That's Is the it? one. Really? Yeah, Does it happen to thing. you too? <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I, 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 I put a, um, a picture of the cover of the book uh, a little while ago on, on social media. Um, and essentially, it's a, it's a kind of um, slight, if you imagine um, a, a kind of wash of, of, of kind of lemony, limey colours that's slightly Mark Rothko-esque. Yes. Um, and, and a friend of mine said, do you know what, I just looked at that and it set the back of Majora light. There you and go. I'm, and I'm salivating. I'm going, that's what I wanted from the cover and the brilliant Matthew Cox uh, um, uh, who's the designer, um, came up with it instantly when I said, I want a cover that makes your eye slightly closed and sets the back of your jaw alight. And oh he did it in goodness. an instant. And, and, and that's exactly what's happening. So sounded. it's a thing. It's not it's, just, it's not it's just not, my mutant tongue. No, it's not, I'd like to, I, I should have kidded you along. Should have heard of that. Uh, no. Um, and you're clearly mad, but it, that's, that's what it is. And, and, and it's one of the great things. It's mouth watering. It's, and, and, and it doesn't even need to be, sour in the absence of sweet as we know it, it can be a celebration of both and, and i think that's the great thing about it so i'm very excited about it and it's been a really 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 lovely book to to write and also cook you know there's lots of most curries are sour you know yes. everything the obvious vindaloo with the with the vinegar um to all kinds of things we've got dried limes in there yeah. um all, all sorts of brilliant things i um, cannot wait to see it and so when is that out it's out in the first few days of september <gasps> We've got so long to wait. <laughs> Hang on, it's, it's, it's July on Sunday, so maybe two and a bit months. Yeah. Oh, okay, um, okay. I shall just, I'll just salivate while I wait. It's I'll fine. have to just salivate for two months, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay, tell us uh, before we go. What, what else? What else are you up to? Um, is there anything uh, else that you're up to at the moment that we need to yeah, know about? I'm, I'm, I'm up to all sorts. Um, I'm, I'm. It's kind of showtime, which is great because um, you know Chelsea's been and gone. We got Hampton Court coming up, um, which is um, eight days of. Lots of demos of making cocktails and doing some fermenting and some. Uh, I'm, I'm, there's a garden there called the Edible Eden Garden, which I'm uh, involved with, um, and we're going to be using all the ingredients on that edible garden to make lots of brilliant salads and cocktails and all that stuff. Um, and then um, I'm essentially lots of stuff like that. You know, there's Abergavenny Food Festival, um, there's Malvern Festival in September, there's there's West Dean Chili Fiesta in. August. Um, I'm going to take a couple of weeks off to be idle. Uh, yes, why not? And just general <laughs> writing. You know, I've got the next book up my sleeves. So, you know, all of that. So yeah, it's all busy, busy. But I love it. You know, I mean, it's it's great, isn't it? You write about food and and gardening. Um, how can that not make you happy? And are you getting to garden a bit a, a bit as well? 
Yeah, not as and never. It's never as much as I'd like. But then, mm. um, you know, it's not something that earns you a living, is it? Um, you know, for most of us, Titchmarsh. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, gardening is 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 um, is always less than you'd like it to be. Even if you're a garden designer, you end up, um, you know, it's like being a headmaster. You don't see the kids very much or do much teaching, but you 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 know you oversee everything. And it's a bit like that. I I I'd like to be doing more, but um, you know, I I could be doing it every day, all day, and I'd still like to be doing more. Oh. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I know how busy you are because you've just told us. Um, I, I will link to all your bits and bobs and all your social media channels, which, I'm, which are very, very busy, and your website on the show notes. And thank you so much. Hey, thank you. It's been a total pleasure, Letitia. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, my darlings, for taking the time to listen to the Virgin Gardener podcast. Uh, if you liked it, then maybe subscribe and leave a five-star review. If you didn't like it, maybe you'll like another episode. Uh, if you don't like it at all, don't do anything. Okay? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, you can find me on my blog, letitiamcleaf.com, or via my Instagram or Twitter, at Letitia Until then, I'm sending you all the good things.